Take one. Lights. Camera. Action. My grandpa killed a man-eating lion. It's 30 days has September, right? So it was the 30th of September. First time I saw the future, I was eight years old. It happened in Moscow, Russia, then the Soviet Union. Do you believe in ghosts? I was in the metro on a Saturday morning. I had already canceled on myself about half a dozen times. I thought, I, I got it. I've got to go. We have all got a Hong Kong story. A reason why we are lucky enough to call this slightly smoggy, frantically glorious city home. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 24th of July, 2019 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. We all do have a Hong Kong story, although lately it's harder and harder to say how that story will go. Wherever you are this week, Hong Kong, take care of yourselves and those around you. As we try and stay focused on our work this week, we'll be listening to Phoenix's story that highlights the importance of family. And after Phoenix, we'll hear one of my own stories from 2017 about how even couples can have differing points of view. Before we get to the stories for today, warm and heartfelt thank yous go out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. We know you have a lot on your minds lately, so thank you for continuing to support our storytelling community. Thanks for listening Go Out too to our listeners around the world. This week, a shout out to listeners in Harare in Zimbabwe, Heiwajima in Japan, and Engelholm in Sweden. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. Our July live show is tonight. And if you haven't already gotten a ticket, there are still a few left. The theme for tonight is belonging, and we invite you to come along and belong to our audience. Find tickets and details on the website hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than comedy. It's better than drama. It's real life. And now from our January 2019 show, which has the theme New Territories, here is Phoenix. Hello, everyone. Is there a Santa Claus in the world? Funny question. I was educated by my dad. If I behave good, I can get everything from Santa Claus. So I wrote letters to Santa Claus every year when I was a kid. My dad helped me to send them out. And I got what I asked for. It is our time we were living three floor village house in new territory. The rooftop was rebuilt by my dad to be a transparent glass room. My childhood was so wonderful because of that glass room. Look over the sky from the glass room. Sometimes so many stars were so bright there. My dad put the Christmas tree for decoration for that glass room. Was that big? That, that is Hong Kong, right? So, living that fairy tale life, 
I do believe there is a Santa Claus in the world. I'm a mini version of my dad, same eyes, and both of us tall. And I figured out another important thing was in common. We're both overexcited about Christmas coming. It's so wonderful to sneak a look at the Santa Claus dropping the gift to my Christmas stocking while I was pretending to be asleep. But my dad, I don't know why, my dad seems more excited than me. My dad suffered from the best bad lysocystic symptom, if you heard of this disease. So sometimes when walking around, my dad always asks the same question over and over. Who is the best dad in the world? <laughs> I know if I say yes, what is going to happen? So I answer in another way. I'd rather not tell. <laughs> Would you rather not tell? You have another dad better than me? And I answer, Dad, you are my only dad. My dad, so just laughing and answer, oh, yes, yes. So who is the best guy in the world? <laughs> My dad never gave up to be a less assistant. The best guy in the world? I know the answer for sure. So I answer loudly and confidently. Santa Claus, of course. Yes, Santa Claus. Compared with Santa Claus, my dad was so straight on me. He was, why don't you, dad? If I got three A's in exam, my dad normally will say something like that. Why don't you get 10 A's? I wasn't my dad's princess. Only Santa Claus, the best guy in the world, never asked me more, only giving. <laughs> My dad, second. My dad has been traveling pretty much and very good at the cooking. So living in the classroom in the territory, listen to my dad's traveling story, look over the sky, and enjoy the food my dad cooked. It was the happiest time in my whole life. Until when I was 11, one night, it was a raining, cold, white night. I was in the car and my dad was driving. Was it too fast? I was dizzy, and I felt I was like flying in the sky with a car. So awkward. So I asked my dad, Dad, 
My dad was concentrating on his driving, but heard my son, he turned left and answered, yes. At that moment, the car was spinning in a circle like was about to lose control. Oh, my gosh! My dad was screaming, and I, I saw my dad was so panicked. I never seen my dad in that kind of panic face. Just in one second, I find my safety belt was unlocked by my dad, and my dad's hands passed me and just opened the car door. Just in one second, just in one second, I was pushed out by my dad. I was at the car standing out. I was petrified to see the car with my dad rush to the fence. After a big bang, eventually stop it. It was still raining. My tears blew out with the heavy rains. I heard myself screaming, cut off the light. Dad! It was like a dream. It was real to see my dad lie down in a coffin, like a fall asleep. It was real to be told my dad was gone forever. I was like, swallow the whole pain, but don't have enough time to chew up. The classroom was the same but just become colorless. The lover and the lawyer was gone with my dad. I wrote a diary every day to Santa Claus. I begged Santa Claus to let my dad back. He never disappointed me, never disappointed me, never. My dad resembled brother, my uncle, moved to Temple Us. And the Christmas Eve is coming. That light, I heard a sound from the classroom. I went there. The door was open. And I saw the back of Santa Claus with the right clothes and the black boot Santa Claus? He turned back. But the Santa Claus didn't put the big beard and the glass on his face. It was my dad. I saw my dad. It was my dad. Suddenly, I understand why my dad was so excited about Christmas. 
how could possible to be my dad? He's shorter than my dad. He was my uncle. I realized for the many years, the Santa Claus I have been seeing was my dad. I understood a dad tried to make up and dress up like a Santa Claus to make her daughter to believe the most wonderful person in the world to know what he wanted. Is there a Santa Claus in the world? Yes. It was my dad. Thank you. A story of such heartbreak is never easy to hear because the pain of loss is universal. That's part of why storytelling is so important. It takes big events and makes them personally relatable. If you have a story you'd like to tell and are looking for some guidance on how to tell it, go to hongkongstories.com and find out how to join one of our free workshops. Join our storytelling community and learn how to tell great stories. Now here's one of my own stories, first told in January 2017, where I find we can have different points of view depending on our experiences. It was almost 18 years ago when I brought my Steve home to visit my family for the first time. It was a pretty exciting event because they hadn't met each other before. My Steve is a city lad. He grew up in Hong Kong, but he's quite well-traveled. He lived for a long time in England. I know he's been overseas, all over the place, but this was the first time that he'd ever been to Canada. And we arrive at about midnight in Toronto Pearson Airport from a flight from Manchester. And we go through customs and do the regular, pick up our baggage, go through customs, and then we scurry out into the dark night, dark cold Canadian night across the airport to the car rental place because we need to rent a car to drive home to my parents' house, which is near Toronto. Now, near is a relative term <laughs> because Canada, unlike Hong Kong and the UK, is big. In Hong Kong, if you say you live near somewhere, it's usually about 15 minutes away, somewhere around there. In England, it can be up to 40 minutes. But in Canada, it can be a whole lot further. My parents' little farm was two and a half hours drive from Toronto Airport in a small town. In fact, it wasn't even in a small town. It was outside of a small town, <laughs> in the countryside, along a dirt road. Now, the road that I lived on is beautiful. It's a really nice place to grow up. It's, the road itself is lined with these beautiful, big, deciduous trees, and in the summertime, they cast a dappled shade over the road. In the fall, it's like this explosion of color with reds and oranges and yellows just fantastically painted all the way down. And growing up in Canada is really special, especially in the countryside, because you get to do things that you don't get to do in the city. You get to ride a bike through the forest. You get to catch minnows in the local stream with your mother's pasta strainer. 
She loved that. And you get to learn how to shoot a gun because living in the country, you need to know that kind of stuff. These are all things that my city lad, Steve, wouldn't necessarily know. So we get in the car and we're driving. And we're leaving Toronto and we're on the 401, which is a main artery going out of Toronto. It's really familiar. I mean, honestly, roads like this look the same all over the world. Four lanes of traffic on each side, lots of cars coming and going. Everything's comfortable. Steve's relaxed. We're all good. But me? I'm a bit nervous. So believe it or not, I'm wittering on. I'm telling him about my parents who are a bit weird, but the kindest people I know. <laughs> I tell him about my dad, who's this big, hairy, slightly intimidating guy, who can fix almost anything and is weirdly attractive to babies. I tell him about my mom, who's this tiny little lady who's a bit bird-like and always used to swear in Flemish because nobody else understood it in the house. And she loves nature. She knows everything about the natural world. And she, the, together, they're this force of nature. They're incredible. And I couldn't wait for him to meet them. And I really wanted it to go well. So we're driving. We leave the 401. We get to London, Ontario, Canada. I have to say all three of those because it gets confusing for people who don't live in Canada. We get to London, Ontario, Canada, which is a normal-sized city, you know, pretty big. There's still lots of people around. It's almost one o'clock by this time, but you know, streets, streetlights, shops, and a lot of wind and cold. The temperature's dropped considerably since we left the airport. It's about minus five with the wind chill factor on top of it, and there's a winter storm coming. And as we leave London and we go onto the slightly smaller feet of road, the darkness is darker than it was before, and the snow is snowier than it was before, and the wind is windier than it was before, <laughs> and there's a storm, a brewing. But it's still reasonably comfortable, you know, Steve's sitting there in the car and I'm still talking. But he's answering a little bit less. And it's a bit unsettling, I'll admit, as you're driving through the darkness and the cars are coming towards you and slowly flashing past and then you're left again in the darkness, two people in a rented Corolla. <laughs> Finally, we get to Exeter, which is the next smallest town on the way home. And it's a good-sized town. We've got the gas station still open and a 24-hour donut shop, very important in Canadian terms. And we go past that, and, and things are okay, but Steve is starting to look a little bit more worried. I can see he's kind of reached out to the, hand, the, the armrest there, and he's kind of gripping it a little bit. He says, how much, how much further do we have to go? I say, well, we've only got about 20 more minutes. But as we leave Exeter, the storm gets worse. I've got to slow down because road conditions are not good. I put on my high beams, hoping that I can see a little bit more, but all it does is reflect off the snow and makes matters worse. As we pass through the last small town before we get to my parents' house, a couple of streetlights, a couple of houses, not much else, I can see Steve is starting to get more and more concerned. His shoulders are starting to hunch a little bit, and his neck's gone down a wee bit, and he's getting more tense. How much further, he says. And I reassure him, soon, soon. But I'm not really paying attention because I'm looking for the little tiny sign that marks our side road because usually I don't have a problem with this, but every single familiar landmark is obscured by snow. So we're driving and the snow is swirling and I see it just there, 
a little flash of green, and I turn, and the car goes into a small skit, but it's okay. <laughs> I've driven in snow before. I know what to do. And as we come around the corner, the trees lining my road create these lovely little drifts of snow. When the snow blows over, they create these little drifts, and I've got to gun the engine a little bit so we can get over them. So as we're driving, it's going thump, 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 a little bit like if you were driving over dead bodies. <laughs> and the trees, which are so welcoming and lovely in the summertime and so beautiful in the fall, are now these long, thin branches, like fingers interlocking over the road, as though they're going to crush us in a cold, wooden grip. And I look over at Steve, and I realize that far from imagining the welcoming, lovely, friendly home of my childhood, he seems to think that we're driving into the scene of a horror movie. <laughs> are, we at, are we there yet? He whispers, and I can barely hear him over the blasting of the heater. I take my hand off the wheel, and I point ahead, and I say, see that light winking up in the distance? That's my parents' house. That's the yard light. They left it on for us. We go past a silent forest, darkened farmhouses, a couple of fields covered in snow, and finally there's a mailbox, a driveway, and we're home. We're home. <sighs> Come through the storm, and we're safe. And I turn to Steve, and I can see him visibly relax as he pulls his hand off the armrest. And I say, are you ready? And he looks at me and he zips up his jacket and he goes, yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. And we run out of the car towards the house. And just as we're getting there, the door opens. And there's my big dad and my little mom. And the door and the warmth and light spilling out. And we're home. And they open their arms up wide and they give us, a, all, they give us both a big hug. And they say, welcome home. Welcome home. And I'm so happy. About 15 minutes later, we're snuggled up underneath a duvet, contentedly drifting off to sleep. The sound of the storm around us. And in the morning, when we wake up, this special Canadian magic has happened. There's a dusting of snow that covers everything. It's absolutely magical. It looks like a picture postcard. And I excitedly pull Steve from window to window, pointing out things around our farm. Look, there's the barn where we used to keep goats, but don't anymore. And there, there's the treehouse where we used to play when we were kids. And this is the bedroom that I grew up in. And this is the quilt that my mom made me. He's nodding, looking a little bit nervous again. But we go downstairs for breakfast. And there's my mom putting jams on the table. And my dad's cooking pancakes. And the big table that's the center of our kitchen. It's a big wooden table that everybody sits around. My parents always sit on one side of the table because on the other side is the window that goes out in the front yard. And I pull Steve over. Look out the window, Steve. Look out the window. Because there is the bird feeder that my mum feeds, the beautiful Canadian songbirds that, that overwinter with us. She feeds them so that they can sustain themselves over the winter because it's a pretty harsh climate. And my mum and dad always sit on this side so that they can see out the window. It's better than TV, my dad says. Fantastic. That's what they do every morning. So mom and dad sit down on one side, and me and Steve sit on the other side, and I'm so happy. I just, it's fantastic. 
They're having that polite conversation of people who've just met one another and, you know, know they have to be part of each other's lives. So, how was the flight? And, oh, your house is so nice. And, you know, things like that. And I'm just sitting there grinning and I'm thinking, this is fantastic. Mom and Dad have accepted Steve into their lives and they haven't done anything too weird. Um, and, and, of course, just as I'm thinking that, my father turns to my mother, nudges her, and says, Trudy! And in synchronicity, the two of them reach behind their chairs, their breakfast chairs, and my father's hand comes up holding a BB gun. My mother's whole hand comes up holding a very business-like looking slingshot. <laughs> and the two of them, together, creep over to the window like middle-aged pajama-clad ninjas, <laughs> slide it open, point their weapons out the window, and fire. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a big of a grackle as it flies away. A grackle's a pest bird that eats the songbird's food and chases them away from the bird feeder. My mother hates these. I look over at Steve, who's just pancake halfway to mouth going, what have I gotten myself into? And I consider explaining to him that the gun that my dad is holding is a BB gun. It's, it's practically a toy, really. It's not really a gun at all. And my mom, my mom can't hit anything with that slingshot. She's a terrible shot. And they're not actually trying to kill the bird. They're just trying to scare it away. But the extent of the horror on his face just means that I have no idea where to begin. So I just smile and say, ah, oh, it's so good to be home. <laughs> and you know, I don't think he's ever recovered. Thanks for listening to this story brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was created and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell. <laughs>